thing I want to do is to uh, talk about pottery and clay, of which I know little or nothing. Other than, maybe like you, when I was a child, we had Play-Doh in the house. My mother never did like that. It wasn't when we played with it that was the problem. It was what we left strode and then would get mushed into the carpet and other stuff like that and was a challenge to get cleaned up afterwards. But it was a real experience, and I think even today with children, is an experience of creativity. You know, you take a little block of whatever color or maybe multiple ones, and you begin an idea of what you might make. It might be a stick figure, and you roll them out and you push the pieces together and the end, the child who has never done it before is proud that in their own hands they made something. And if you're a good parent, you're going ooh and ah, right? No matter what it really looks like because that's the beginning point. And we can appreciate those because we've been there before. And we would like to think others have been that kind to us as well. What we find in our text today is an image of God being a potter. Now, I don't know how you think of that or relate to it because often our images of God are far more complicated. Uh, it's an analogy, maybe another way to describe it, of a way to see him at work. Uh, we know that God, of course, in the creation story, it said, took the dust and he formed it and made man and breathed into him the breath of life. So God has really been into the into the. Uh, uh, making not a Play-Doh, but a pottery, us since the very beginning. But it goes deeper than uh, simply dust. It's more than how he shapes who we are. When Jeremiah speaks about the image of God, he really is talking to how God has made the people of Israel into his own special people. But he also says that they have done a poor job of responding to that very love that he's given in fact, already, if you read in the Old Testament, uh, the northern kingdom, that is the ten tribes in the north, have now been overrun and they have been exiled. They will disappear, never to come back as a unit again. And now Jeremiah is speaking to the last of the, of the southern kingdom of Judah, saying that God is looking to you. He is the potter and you are in his hands, questioning whether or not or responding to what he wants to do. He knows that the image is as much an image of judgment as well as God's creativity because God can choose to be tired of the making and its flaws and failures and simply do away with it. And we're all in hopes he doesn't do that with us. We want him to think of us as ones who are still on the mend and the make and he can continue to work with us in one way or another. We are the clay certainly represents not just God's ability to make us physically, but it's about God's also purposefulness in us, what he's made us for and to do, how he may gift us in different ways, but truly together we are about being one church, one body of Christ, and we all together pull and do the work for which he has made us. So think of the image not simply as each individual, but also of us together. It is about God's divine authority, but he's the one that can make as he wishes. In verse 4 it said, So the potter reforms the now formless mass into something else again, as it seems good to the potter to do. 
It is certainly of God's making as he wishes to do. But we may be, from time to time, prone to argue with God. You know, we're sure that God could have done a better job had he just taken a little more time or thought about it a little better, and we have something for him to think about, and we have an idea of God, what you could have done in a special way, and that brings me to my image. Because sometimes we're thinking of God, I really want to be something special. You just make me into something special, I'm going to be happy. And I'll do my best. I brought with me a, a crystal goblet. Now, you may have some of these in your house. Uh, some of you opted out of that. These came along at the time when Vicki and I got married. Now, people very kindly and generously gave us not only the set of the crystal, but the china that goes with it. And they sit in the appropriate place in a china cabinet in the dining room where they stay year after year after year after year. You know where that's headed, Right. And it's a precious thing. I mean, these are expensive things. That's one kind of way we may say to God, you know, God, if you give me a choice, I want to be like that china cup. I want to be something that's special in everybody's eyes. People look at it and go, ooh and ah. Would you go ooh and ah for me? See there, thank you so much. It's just, it's good to know you do that over this. And you, you say, it's, we all... Some people really do want to be a glass. They want to be a china glass, something like that that's so special. Everybody knows how important and costly it may be and are thankful for it. They look at it and think, man, if I could just be like that china cup. Then I brought with me something far less um, significant. Uh, this is one of them, a five-gallon bucket. I actually counted them up. I have 12 buckets. Uh, some of them are, look like this. Some are kind of permanent storage. They're also in different shapes and some different sizes. I've had buckets, I guess, ever since I, uh, we've had house. Vicki and I got married ever since then. And we've always kept one, two, three, or more. And, and I don't know what you do with a bucket, men or women. I know the latest use of this one was to go around our front yard yesterday and to pick up limbs and things which the, which the uh, storm had blown down. You know, not the big ones, but the small ones and gather them up. It is a very useful thing. I've taken a bucket like this when I go fishing to, to haul all those monster fish back in that I catch, you know. <laughs> I could have taken a much smaller bucket most of the time, but you know, I, I've done that. Just to hold my bait because what could do for it. I've used that same bucket to uh, go out and pick vegetables, maybe peas or butter beans or, or strawberries or other things or blueberries and bring them home and enjoy them. It is a very versatile thing. I, I put soapy water in it and wash my truck in Vicky's van. You know, that bucket has so many uses and so little demands. I mean, a bucket like this can last you for years. You know, I take it and I come in. I don't have to put it in a china cabinet. I can just throw it across the floor of the garage and it can lay there and it doesn't go oomph and doesn't bother it. It's just there. It stays in that place. I move it and put it where it should be and it's okay. And, and it may be someday in the future it gets a little bit older that a crack comes in it and I still keep it because even though it may not hold water anymore, it's useful for other things. It's amazing how long one of these buckets will stay around. I don't know about you, but I think about being the 
potter and clay. I wonder if you most want to be something like the, the china goblet that sits in a special place so others can go ooh and ah over it, or whether you'd rather be something like this bucket that is so useful day in and day out, unnoticed by most anyone, but useful to all. If you pay time and attention to it, it's something that God uses for us and He has made us for. That's what God is like. But you have to also begin to think larger. It's not so much about God just doing something daily with you as it is about God doing a grand design and purpose for His church. We use a word to describe that. We call it being disciples of Jesus. It means that He has shaped us in a design I'm not thinking necessarily about our height or weight or any of those kind of elements, but in our personality, in our experiences, in our abilities, in our interests, in a way that God has shaped us for his own work. And the question becomes whether or not we respond well to God's grace given to us. I find that in the image of the potter and clay, it's said that the potter is at work and at time, if the clay doesn't respond appropriately, he simply can fold it in and start it back over again on the wheel. Well, some time ago, Vicki and I were on vacation, and we uh, did like most people on vacations do, you go shopping. You ever do that when you go on vacation? That's the silliest thing. Well, we do it anyway. <laughs> we, we go shopping, and, and there was a, a pottery outlet. Actually, it was a factory, and part of their operation for making at least some of the contents of what they sold was right behind it. And it was a rather interesting way to spend a few rainy hours uh, on a vacation day. Went inside, and we found that there were lots of pottery of every kind, from the very smallest items to something huge, and lots of kinds of dishes, by the way. And, and we went again to look around, because that interests us at the moment. We might like to have a set, and... And we began to look, and they had some that were what they call firsts. You know what that means, don't you? It means they were perfect. It's the same kind you might go to one of the department stores or find a China dealer and find that same one there, and they wanted you to pay a good price for it because it had no blemishes. It was beautiful. We looked at that, and we weren't budget-wise where it was. You understand that, don't you? So we began to look on the other part of the store, and there stood a, a different set of almost the same kind of objects, only they said these are seconds. You've heard that before, right? They're seconds. It means that each one of the dishes has a blemish somewhere on it. You're invited to open it up and take a look at every single piece you're buying to see whether or not you still want it because it does have a blemish. It might be a little wave somewhere in the item. It might be where the, the painting is done on it. It has a little mark somewhere in the wrong place. It might be a little chip, maybe on the bottom so. You look at it, you wouldn't notice it most of the time. And you look over it and decide, that's good enough for me. I think I, think I can do that. And after I, I, Vicky's still roaming, and I'm tired of roaming, I, I go wandering after that. And I wandered to the potters out back. I just wanted to see what these people were doing. And, and they were busy. They weren't making grand things. But one thing I did notice is outside of their shop, in fact, leaning against the wall, no, it's really more than that. It, it stretched all the way from the ground all the way to the eave of that structure. It was a metal building, probably about 12 feet, was literally a mountain of broken china. 
Somewhere along the way, they, uh, something was broken, and their response to it was, you just throw it out on the pile. To that point, they apparently never found another use for it because they hadn't sorted it, they hadn't boxed it, they hadn't put a price on it, they hadn't carried it to the garbage even or thrown it away. It was just sitting there, occupying space and getting larger. And I began to think, how does that look when God looks at us? Do we feel like the first that God has made? That is, that we are, in fact, living in and up to all that which God has made us. Or maybe we feel more like the seconds, that there's still a lot of good there, but we've done a few things to blemish the merchandise. We've made it a little harder for God to do as much with us as he could have. But we're still useful. And we're thankful we're useful. He hasn't thrown us out. Or maybe... Maybe you feel like those broken pieces out back and wonder, can God make anything of me? It never says he can't. In our image, God still can. It is how we respond to him. It seems that in the image of the potter and the clay, the clay has really no uh, intentional abilities. That's where the analogy kind of breaks down some because you and I have a free will. We live in a world where there's sin and we make good and bad choices. And so we are always, to some degree, something blemished. And yet God is one who magnificently can still use us. It depends on us how God can make us. When I went to the doctor last week uh, preparing for the surgery, uh, he told me what I was going to have to do and uh, what I need to do when I came. It was last Monday it was the surgery, and I was ready for it. But this is what he said to me. He said, because uh, I said, you know, what am I going to have to do when I, I get home? He said, well, when you get home, it's real simple. Uh, for the first week, do you come back and see me? You're going to go home. You're going to put your, elevate your foot so it's above your heart, you know, high up, and you're going to sit down. My next question to him was, well, when can I go to work? That was my next question. His, his answer to me was, when you go home, you can elevate your foot above your heart, and you can sit until you come back and see me. I'm, I'm rather stubborn about things. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm very stubborn about some things. And don't ask Vicky about it. But uh, so I asked him, "Well, when can I drive?" To which he said, "When you go home, you can elevate your foot." <laughs> same same response. You see, I said, "Okay." Well, one one more question I really need to know from you is, uh, you know, on Sunday I really want to preach. Is there a chance I can do that? He said, "I give it a fifty-fifty chance." I said, sounds like 90-10 to me. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> Actually, it's Tuesday of this week because of the holiday. But it brings back to me the memory of what we do when God is at work in us and how different it is when we're simply obedient. There's no substitute for obedience to God. His hands are at work, a loving hands, a capable hands of shaping you. 
to make you something better than you ever thought you could be alone. And he doesn't give up on us easily at all. But it's up to us to respond to that grace and power. In a moment, I want you to come receive communion. It's the time we come with our heart searching. And maybe you'd say, you know, God, I've been too stubborn. I've not let you have your way. It's a wonderful moment to say, have your way. I remind you when we serve communion here that uh, it's open to everyone. You don't have to be United Methodist. Uh, we do have gluten-free elements for those who need to receive it. Just ask the servers when you arrive at that station. We're serving by intention today from the sides. You'll have servers, and, and once you are served, coming down the outside aisle, you're welcome to kneel at the altar and then return by the center aisle if you would. Uh, let's pray at this time. Now, Father, your grace is just what we need. It is an abundant grace. We confess our hard-headedness at times to what you're trying to do with our determination to do it either by ourselves or a different way. You've cleaned up a many a mess we've made, even the mess we've made of ourselves. Open us, Lord, to your presence this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen.